Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Welcome to Pocket Buds GCAP Special. I'm here in Melbourne. I just landed maybe like five, five minutes. That's not true. I landed like an hour or so ago. Maybe even more. I can't fully remember. But uh, now I'm here in Melbourne and I'm here at my hotel. And if you're wondering who's I'm, that's right. It's me, Ruby Innes, uh, the host of this show, the, the always host of this show. And for this GCAP special, basically what the gist of it is, is today I will be taking my silly little tush all around the MCEC in Melbourne where GCAP, which stands for Games Connect Asia Pacific, is being held. It is an event for publishers, for developers, for games companies and for media and for me to go and chat amongst each other, make some deals. Me, I'm not making any deals. I'm just talking. I'm just talking to people about their work, about what they do. And I thought it might be a good idea to kind of start this out with uh, a chat with my roomie, uh, <laughs> a chat with my roomie, a chat with uh, a friend, an ex-neighbor, a current roomie, and also curator for the Powerhouse Museum, Chloe Appleby. Chloe. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god i'm eating a sandwich and you've sprung this on me yeah i thought room. Be, i thought it'd be funny <laughs> i thought it'd be really funny i thought it, it was it's i'm it's hilarious i've got avocado still in my teeth yeah and you just handed me a mic well i just i thought it, i thought it would be a really good goof to like instead of kind of going hey i was just wondering like would you be able to do this intro with me uh, it's just like a quick little thing to talk about GCAP. Um, it this. won't take long. And <laughs> then you can go on uh, to that event that you were telling me about that you said that you were just leaving to go to. Thank you. Um, <laughs> I thought it'd be funnier to kind of just start. <laughs> I thought uh, it'd be funny. No, this is, this is funny. This is great. This so is great. 
Chloe, you're here. I'm with here me in Melbourne in our little hotel room, our, our lovely little yes. hotel room. And to you, as a as a curator of games um, at the Powers Museum, what GCAP kind of represent for you? I guess GCAP is it's a really really wonderful experience. Honestly, I mean, for me, it really it represents people coming together and connecting and building those fantastic relationships and really showcasing what games are about. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's kind of like a huge thing in in Australia as well. Like, I mean, we're kind of getting more and more events mm. for games yeah. in Australia, which is cool, but less uh, less so consumer events. Yeah, more industry-based. And more industry-based, yeah. which I think is really good. Like, it takes, takes us a little bit of time to get out to anywhere. Yeah, I you mean, know, Australia's in the middle of we're, fucking we're a, nowhere. We're a fucking island, eh? Literally. Literally. So it just it's it's far away, yeah. right? And so it's good to have these events here in Australia. But I guess because it is an industry event, mm. people would kind of, I guess, not fully fully understand like what it's for. So oh yeah, I mean, I mean what GCAP is really for is for um, we have. It's a great learning opportunity. So there's talks happening where people can share knowledge. I did one yesterday about museums and people were like, why? This is a games <laughs> conference. I'm like, it's okay. Um, it's <laughs> no, no, it's <laughs> okay. It's okay. I'm here. I'm showing you things. Shh, like, preserve. Okay. If you're listening, preserve things. They're like, why, why yeah. is the music? And you're like, yeah. Shh, no, no, it's okay. It's Don't fine. worry about it. Here's a photo of me in binoculars. It's fine. It's <laughs> I'm looking for games. Yeah, I'm looking, I'm looking for gaming you. binoculars. <laughs> <laughs> and they've also got this thing called Meet to Match, so you can book in meetings mm. and you can yeah. really connect with people that really align with you too. And it's a chance to showcase you. Also, you're weird. We had a great uh, Screen Australia. They launched their new three um, funding programs, and they were really emphasising on bringing your weird because that's what Australia is really leading in. Yeah, I mean, we've got Untitled Goose Game, Cult of the Lamb, like. They're Weird, huge. huge. Weird games. Fantastic. Love them. Weird games. I feel like Australia prides itself. Yeah. On weird games. We're leading in that. We're, we're doing it I mean, better than anyone else. Simon Boxer with Winnie's Hole. Oh, my God. What the hell? I love Simon. I love um, Simon. But, uh, yeah, yeah. like like Simon and Boxer. And the fact that he's also working with, with Jacob, Jacob Jenner, yeah. uh, on the dungeon experience. It's like two... Yeah. Horrible, horrible minds. Oh, together. Horrible, brilliant minds. Absolutely. And they just made Big this masterpiece. Horrible I saw, um, got to see the dungeon experience while we're here as well. And yeah. that's. It's so yeah. much fun. It's, <laughs> it's so much fun. I'm like, okay, it's this is this is this game. So I love silly. It. I, yeah. I, I've played a demo of it. And when I got to the, <laughs> to the little reception and there's the, the, <laughs> the table man. And I was like. I was like, oh, is this okay? Like, is this all right? But he he, he, he was just, enjoying himself. Yeah. Like, it he was, was having a good time. That was his dungeon experience. And the thing with a dungeon experience is everybody has a different dungeon experience. And I think I that's mean, really beautiful. I, it, and I think it's really wonderful. And you can, yeah. you know, fondle nipples in the dungeon experience. You can. You yeah, can. You have, to, you have to push these really long nipples <laughs> all the way in but really slowly. Really slowly. And you know what? I love the little squelching sound that yeah, goes along with it too. Yeah, it's a good yeah. noise uh, and not yeah. yucky No, and way. you're not uncomfortable the whole time you're playing yeah, it. Yeah, it's no. good vibes. Great vibes. 
great we love the vibes we love the vibes it's we've gone on a tangent we've gone on a tangent (laughs) so i'm here at gcap later on you'll be hearing me talking to various different developers uh from abandoned sheep who are working on schrodinger's cat burglar all the way to hipster whale Iconic. Quite an interesting story. So yeah. so iconic. Like heaps of people don't know that Crossy Road comes from Australia. Yeah. And so that's going to be a really good chat. But yeah, this is kind of just the opening <laughs> from, from Chloe and I Love in that. our beautiful hotel room. Uh, thank you so much for listening and enjoy the rest of the show. My name is Ren Breyer. I was creative director on Unpacking. What was that like? It was very hectic. Yeah. Um, it was a lot of roles in one, I'd say, because we were such a small team. The core team was just four people. Mm. Uh, and then we had a few more contractors who worked for anything between like two weeks to uh, eight months on the project beyond the, the four. Um, so I did a lot of different roles, essentially, from uh, doing art direction to like actually doing art myself on the project to uh, like level design just kind of general game design um i did production uh for most of the project tim and i were also doing the community management and social Mm. media management um narrative design so just just across almost anything yeah and uh with unpacking because which beam um you were actually talking about before that the Unpacking didn't actually start as a Witch Beam project, but uh, eventually became one. Would you be able to talk about that a little bit? How did that happen? Yes, that's right. So um, it started off as a side project that me and Tim made because we were like, we're both game developers and we're a couple. Let's make a game together. That could be fun. Um, and we didn't know exactly what we'd make initially. We, we were tossing up a few ideas, uh, but Unpacking just kind of popped uh, into our heads when we were unpacking when Tim moved in with me uh, and like we kept developing this idea and uh, we ended up submitting it to this games accelerator program called Stugan uh, as a sort of like we didn't think the game would get in but we were like this is going to motivate us to make a prototype it's, it like gives us a deadline so it actually happens and after that you know when it doesn't get in like we'll just work on it in our free time and then it got in so we flew to Sweden for two months to work on the game there um, in like a cabin in the woods with uh, 15 14 no 14 other teams oh uh, all working on their dream games so it was this this really crazy experience and like Suddenly, we realized essentially that people liked this idea. They liked our initial prototype. Um, we got to show it there uh, at like the closing kind of showcase that we did for student, and we we got some interest from like a publisher and from um, other people in the industry. So we were like, okay, this thing has legs, and then it went viral uh, like uh, just shortly after that um, when we got back to Australia, maybe like a week or two later. So we were like, yeah, okay, we need to make this into a real project. And uh, we thought, why not do it through Witchbeam, which is Tim's company. Um, so Tim run, co-runs Witchbeam with uh, Jeff and Nart. Yeah. And uh, Jeff was already like signed on to the project as well. He said he wanted to do the audio for it. So we're like, well, this is already two-thirds of Witchbeam. May as well make this a Witchbeam project. And I kind of joined in. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it came to be. And yeah. um, what would you say would be some of like the biggest challenges you kind of faced during development? I mean, going to a whole different country to kind of bring it together is incredible. But uh, 
What were the bad parts? Yeah, that part was really good. Um, <laughs> oh, man, the bad parts. I don't know. Uh, I think part of it is just the slog of making a game for oh, yeah. three and a half years. Like, just staying on target is is hard, staying motivated. It helps a lot to have a team uh, and a team that you like and mm. a team that you meet up with, like, every morning for stand-up to say, this is what I did yesterday, this is what I'm doing today. Um, and, like, you see the progress. You, you can see every two weeks you do your, like, meeting to, to plan for next week and next time. And... And you're like, oh, okay, so so this is moving. This is moving ahead. Small changes are happening, and it's adding up. So that was that was a difficult part. Um, it was also difficult to kind of let go a little. So I was originally like the only artist on Unpacking, right? When it was me yeah. and Tim. Tim was programming, and I was doing art. And uh, so this thing was my baby. And yeah. all of the art was mine. And there's something very satisfying about being able to say, this is all me I did this mm. and suddenly we realized that we're just not gonna have time to make it like, like it would take two and a half years to do like the art this is what we estimated if I yeah. was doing it on my own oh my um, and I also had other roles yeah so we were like this is impossible for me to do on my own and we hired another artist and that was Angus who mm. ha was ended up being just amazing um, but initially, I just I didn't really want to give Angus things to do that I wanted to do. <laughs> I was Why like, no, would you? This right? bit is cool. I want to do this. I'll just totally. give him the the boring parts. But like, I just very quickly realized that I don't have time to to do all these things. I started giving him more and more work that yeah. I wanted to do. And, and that was hard to let go of, but I, I think pretty quickly I adapted and realized that this is actually such an asset to have someone who can do this instead of me. Um, and like I can just give instructions and give feedback and the project still ends up looking like I wanted to. Yeah, it still ends up being fantastic. And as somebody that's played Unpacking, I thought something quite, and I don't know what other word to use, but magical, <laughs> something quite magical about Unpacking is its ability to tell a life without any conversations at all. And how exactly did you go about achieving that? Because surely that was the goal, right? <laughs> yeah. How did you go about achieving that? Oh, man. What did we do? I don't know. It's been a while. <laughs> it's uh, been a while. <laughs> <laughs> no, let me think about it. No, basically, we knew from the beginning that we wanted the items to tell the story. Because um, when we were like unpacking Tim's things, I was looking at his stuff and thinking, wow, you can tell a lot about a person from the items that they own. And like, of course, while we were packing Tim's stuff, um, I, he was telling me stories like, oh, this is this thing that I got at this place and this is someone gave this to me. You know, so I'd hear the stories of the items, but there was even something just from like looking at all the items sitting on the shelf that you're like, this tells a story. Yeah. So we originally were thinking we could tell like a lot of different stories from a lot of different um, people, uh, li like basically have a room at a time, right? And show the life of a character uh, kind of through that room, like a little little snapshot of their life of who they are. What was, what was your favorite level to, uh, to design? What was my favorite level? Oh man! I uh, know that's such a. It's like to design to pick favorites. I get <laughs> yeah, it. My children. No, um, <laughs> I'm not sure. Uh, let's see. It's because like I got to be the most hands-on on the child room, the childhood mm. room. But like everything really had its high points. Um, the house was really fun. Like the final level because it was like the culmination of everything, and it was enormous. Um, it's also exhausting to yeah. work on because it's so big. <laughs> 
the boyfriend level, definitely it was, oh, it was so fun to make his stuff take up as much room as possible. Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like with the boyfriend level, we got, I, I got to be like the most uh, creative and, and devious. Uh, so yeah. that was fun. But then like, I don't know, the, the housemate level, for example, uh, leans really heavily on my own life experiences. It looks like the place that I lived with uh, housemates in called uh, the dress form in the living room. Like my housemate had a dress form like that with a cosplay on it, though it wasn't Sailor Moon. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it, it just, uh, a lot of these levels were really personal. Um, and there was, there was something very fun about each and every one. Moving on to GCAP, what brings you here? Technically, I was here to give a talk, uh, which I just did and went well. And what was your talk on? Oh, it was on the tools and pipelines of unpacking. So I gave it together with Tim, who made the tools, and yeah. me, who worked with the tools and requested them. <laughs> uh, so we were able to talk about it like from those two angles, and it was kind of like pretty casual like for, for a layperson, but we really showed like all of the tools that we used, or, or at least the major ones. Um, I really liked that talk. Uh, we, we gave it in uh, Europe and in the UK before, and like we updated it for for here um but yeah so that was my, my main reason for coming here i guess like that's my professional reason but my real reason is that i just i love gcap and uh i love games week yeah uh, i've been coming every year since 2016 i can't not come so that was ren Breer talking about the making of unpacking um and i was like i wasn't aware that that so much of it came from her own kind of personal experience with moving yeah. out no, it was, it was really, really interesting to hear that. I'm also, it's, I'm back again. Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. Yes. Chloe's back, by the way. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, sorry. obviously. <laughs> Just sorry. So, sorry, so, everyone, I'm back Sorry again. for being back. Sorry. Um, but I really, what I really liked about what Ren spoke about was that they really wanted to share their knowledge and especially from like when they're talking about um, with GCAP and the tools and really trying to, um, share knowledge from both ends, where it's like the back-end perspective, but also how you use it as a creative. It's really, really awesome. Just a really exciting chat. And uh, now I think it's about time we jump on over to Martin Binfield from Abandoned Sheep to talk about his game, Schrodinger's Cat Burglar. How exciting. <laughs> Hi, I'm Martin Binfield of Abandoned Sheep. Currently I'm working on Schrodinger's Cat Burglar, which is essentially Portal Meets Stray. Where did that come from? <laughs> Uh, initially, the idea was uh, going to be about two humans who had been entangled. It was going to be called the Entangle Men. Uh, <laughs> and when I was, trying, I was considering like making a prototype for it, and I had a cat model from a previous prototype that didn't go anywhere. Yeah. And I was like, I should use that cat model for this Schrodinger game. And then Schrodinger's Cat Burglar just completely came from there. It's like an, a, an idea that was sitting waiting to be hit on, basically. God, there are a lot of good names. Where, where, mm. the, where do these great names kind of come from as well? i got to yeah. ask. Oh, just, I, I like the character names. I mean, I mean, oh, you've got Lazy Susan, <laughs> who's fantastic. Yeah, I mean, Lazy Susan was just like, um, I, I, it just seemed to make sense. Like, the reason she's called that, we haven't put it in the narrative yet, but she mm -hmm. spins on her chair like a Lazy Susan, so it's like, that's why she got that name. And Mittens, uh, the main character, yeah. it was initially planned that you would be able to call the cat whatever you wanted to, your own yeah. names, uh, and Mittens was just the default placeholder, but it works. It works, <laughs> yeah. absolutely. And uh, how long have you guys been in development? I've been working on the game for since about 2018 as like a background project, yeah. um, but we got funding and have been in development since late 2021, early 2022. Right, yeah. oh my gosh. 
and, and that's Green Australia funding. Yes, yeah, so we, right? we got funding initially from uh, Karina Initiatives under the mm. Astra Fund thing, um, which is all about getting puzzle games made uh, to get increased interest in STEM subjects. And then Screen Australia um, also put some money into the game to get us even further. Mm. Um, and yeah, so that's it's been great to have that stuff so I can employ people like Ziggy, the artist, and Elliot, our narrative designer, and uh, other people like that. Yeah, how, how I mean, I was going to ask, how helpful has that kind of funding been? Like, has it been kind of... I guess, crucial to getting things over the line? If that hadn't been there, this would still be a hobby project. Um, and yeah, it's made it into an actual real game. And it's given me the opportunity to like bring it to people to sort of gauge how much interest there is. And mm. it turns out a lot. It turns out like people are really interested in the game, which is great. And I would never have known that had I not been able to take it to this point. Absolutely. And, and the first time I actually saw Schrodinger's Cat Burglar was last year at PAX. Mm -hmm. And it's kind of it's come a long way I, i'd say i got to try it again so uh <laughs> it's, it's definitely changed a bit and what kind of from pax last year to now what have you guys kind of been working on the most so the, the one of the main things we did in the run-up to pax was to convert the game from just being purely top down to having a third person camera yep. so like that version of the game we showed last year was like a top down level but viewed from within <laughs> so since then we've been reworking the levels to have uh, height for one thing so now mm. we're in like third person we can have you can go up and down and in the demo you can jump into an air duct and run above rooms and see them from there which really feels very cat-like and it's really good so we're working on that and we're working on gray boxing the rest of the game working on the mechanics there and like trying to trying to feel like this is a really interesting thing with puzzle games is like getting that level of gettable and mind-blowing like you want to let people do things they couldn't otherwise do but also make it so they know what they're going to be doing <laughs> it's yeah. not just like a random thing absolutely and and one of arguably i mean there's a lot there's a lot of interesting things about this game. Mm -hmm. But one of my favorite parts, I'd say, is the mechanic of um, being able to split the cat in two, right? Yeah. But as well, the um, being observed and yeah. not being observed. Yeah. How did that kind of come to be, not just on a, a conceptual level, but yeah. also on a, a game development level? Yeah, yeah. That was the... Because that was when I first had the idea of, like, the two things being entangled together. It wasn't really anything until that balance of them being connected came about mm. and yeah that's so the idea there is essentially that when you split obeying the rules of superposition in quantum mechanics you are one thing that could be in either place yeah. and when no one's looking we treat it as you are in both like essentially you exist everywhere and you can do you can press two buttons at once and stuff like that but it's when there's an observer um, which is like security cameras and stuff, things like that, when they see you, it roots the version of you that it sees as a real cat, and the other one becomes the theoretical cat. And we're treating theoretical very loosely. This isn't how quantum physics <laughs> works. But essentially, it's ghost mode. So you can go through doors because the doors could theoretically have opened, and you, can, you aren't able to interact with anything. Um, so there's a really interesting push and pull in terms of designing stuff because it's a benefit and a drawback. And so it's like the fact that you need to be unseen to be able to get places you, know, you need to be seen in one location to be undetectable somewhere else um, all that stuff is like it's the the sweet sport source and it's i think that's what really makes the mechanics work is that you kind of the player is splitting their brain as well like they have to be aware of like the state of the other cats while they're moving the theoretical cat because we've got cameras that can pan so it's like a mm. timing issue there of like oh, i'll be theoretical for a bit and then i'll be unobserved and go from there um, and yeah, behind the scenes, it was kind of interesting that it essentially became like a, like people often say, what happens if both cats are seen at once? And it's yeah. like, that just physically cannot happen because <laughs> as soon as one is seen, the other one can't be. Yeah. So it solves its own problems in some ways. And that was Martin Binfield talking about Schrodinger's cat burglar. It may seem like our conversation got cut short. And mm. that's actually. I did notice that. 
Because it did. Oh. Uh, because Martin gave me the chance to play uh, Schrodinger's Cat Burglar, like like a, a test build of the game during our meeting. And I played it last year at PAX. Mm. So playing it again this time was really, really neat. You know, I yeah. got a whole new perspective well, on it. What were the differences that you noticed between last year and this year? The shift from top down Ooh. to third person, mm-hmm. third cat was <laughs> me. <meow. laughs> <laughs> me, yeah. Me. <laughs> um, the the yeah the, the shift from third person to top down was really well done, mm-hmm. and you know there's just a lot of, a, a lot of polish here and there. Yeah, the way that the cat looks when it's not being observed looks a lot cooler. Like it, it's just some some much needed changes that they've done really well. I love that they base it. I don't know quantum something, but yeah. I think it's really really cool that they put that. They made the hypothesis of Schrodinger's cat into a game. Yeah. But also the spin of it is like like this what heist. Yeah. Thieving yeah. is so, so cool. And you got Lisa so Susan clever. who I mentioned oh in my the God. chat. But I don't I'm actually so... I don't actually properly mention as like a thing. Yeah. I'm she's, so glad you mentioned Lazy Susan. Yeah. <laughs> she's a she's a hedgehog or an echidna. One of the he- two. One spiky. Spiky, yeah, spiky boy. Um, she's that, and she's so cute. She's got little glasses on, and she's like, yes. uh, she's mittens like tech person, hedgehog, echidna. Um, I think it's a hedgehog. Um, she's really little. She's got the little face. Then mittens is just great. Um, and <laughs> a much needed addition as well is that they gave you a button to make mittens meow. Meow. Meow, indeed. Yeah. For real. I love. You know what? Same thing with uh, – it's a different game but with Copycat with mm. a Spoonful One. They've also got a meow button and Stray has a meow button. I'm really liking the meow button. I feel like an important part of making a game where you are a cat, mm. you got to have a meow button. Well, I'm also like any animal. I want to like – like I say, you're a snake. I want to like tss button, you know? Press Estus. Yeah. Or like, F like to a, nay and you're yeah. a horse. <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> hoot. I want a hoot button. I'd love a hoot yeah, button. You know what? I want more animal games and I want to be able to make noises. Do you think we're kind of regressing? Because, um, like, you say all these words and all these things and I immediately think about those children's yeah. books with the buttons. The cow <laughs> says, <laughs> And the we're like, goes, take me back. Damn. Yeah. I want to I regress back to childhood because the world is scary. The world is scary. But that's what is play, though. It's yeah. going back to that moment of childhood where you are revisiting these really fun moments where it's triggering those really dopamine little things in your brain. So yeah, I want to. I want I the want cow that. goes moo button. <laughs> <laughs> Amen. Amen. And now I think it's about time we move on to our next chat. This one was with Jonathan Kova, who's making Pedal Rebel VR, a nice. VR game that also doubles as an exercise game. Hi, so I'm Jonathan Kovach, and I'm making a video game called Pedal Rebel VR. All right, and what's what's uh, what's the gist? Because I've seen how it kind of plays. I've seen I've seen pictures. Yeah. Um, so so tell me. I, yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting uh, novel experience. Is that it's actually a VR video game yep. that you play on an exercise bike. <laughs> so you actually you get on top of the bike, you put the the headset on, you start pedaling, yep. and uh, in the headset you're kind of in this cyberpunk world, dodging traffic and uh, going stupid fast awesome. and listening to awesome synth music. It's it's really cool. And what kind of inspired that? 
Um, yeah, like it's it's been a thing where like I I've just been falling in love with VR and trying to do all these really crazy experiences, but I live in a small apartment, so I don't have the space to do the things what I do. Well, I do, but I punch a lot of walls and shelves and yeah, break yeah. things. There's just things in the way. You yeah, know? the real world really gets in the way. Oh, yeah. And and I'm trying to make this this thing work, right? So um, I wanted to then create a game that, that use, utilizes a smaller space but still feels like a big thing. I mean, we all got stuck in our homes too much during COVID and stuff like that. It's sick of staring at the same four walls, yeah. right? And totally. Quite a lot of us had ambitions about getting fit during COVID and then, you know, it's, it's hard to exercise indoors, right? So I thought if I make a cool game that keeps me addicted to this and, and wanting me to, to keep playing, then, uh, then let's do it. And let's do it, absolutely. And what, what's, uh, what's development like so far? Yeah, it's it's thing like I'm just doing it part time. Mm. Like I'm, you know, I'm doing other things for, for business and for money and things like that. But just like really trying to do as much as I can myself. So I'm learning all of the all the things we need to do and and learning kind of every little piece of it. I mean, I I have a, I have a lot of hobbies, and the good thing is that I can sort of roll all of those in. So I get to I get to play around with the 3D. I get to play around with the graphic design. I get to make a cool logo. I've even dabbled with some music production as well, and and make some cool like synthwave music that mm. really just gets you really pumped up for, for playing the game so it's been a really fun uh, process and then um, obviously testing the game can get a bit tiresome after a while if I'm constantly going oh I changed this one thing and now I got to get back on the bike right so it's, it's been a really cool process but um, coming to GCAP and, and meeting everyone uh, at this event has been really helpful to sort of help me know what the next step is uh, in the games industry in Australia. Thinking about it because I uh I'm a sweaty person. I get, it, it gets too hot. I'm a mess. So <laughs> with, you know, being on an exercise bike and and wearing a VR headset, how are you kind of planning to combat any potential discomfort while playing? Sure. So um, some people are obviously sweatier than others. Um, you, there's already a lot of aftermarket stuff that's really good for um, for VR. Like you can yeah. get silicon um, mm. face, facial interfaces, we call them. Um, you can get foam ones and they, they absorb sweat like a sponge. Yeah. <laughs> but the silicon <laughs> ones are really easy to clean, mm. things like that, which, which is helpful. And then also like you're in your own home, so you either blast the air conditioner or, or a fan can be really good too, just to cut, just to get the air away from you while you're, while you're pedaling. But it also makes you feel like you're going faster, right? Oh, yeah. So, <laughs> so it's a chuck, chucking a fan and putting it in your face and playing is, is really cool. Yeah. The good thing is um, it's, it's, not a, it's not a one-to-one fitness experience, mm. right? It's just a, it's that little bit of activity that makes the game feel better. So you can actually pedal quite leisurely. And if you're really good at like dodging the cars and weaving between things and hitting speed boost, then you can still go really fast without actually having to pedal really fast. And then that just helps you want to play you can just play the game for a bit longer and, and really get into it or you can turn the traffic off put on some turn the music down put on some of your own tunes or a, or a podcast yeah or an audio book and just <laughs> yeah, go just and listen just, to pocket buzz yeah <laughs> and you, then you can just go for a cruise right i feel yeah. like sometimes we just want to be in our own space and we want to sort of get away from totally. it um chuck on chuck on some cool vibes and and just and just cruise so we've also done a bit of that what was like the big deciding factor when it came to like this has got to be on a bike this has to be a, a bike-based VR game. Again, it was it was just that play-based thing of like like the the whole industry is trying to solve how do we do locomotion in VR, right? Mm. And so when VR first came out, we we thought, oh, it's really cool. Oh, but you can't move the player too quickly because they'll get yeah. motion sickness, right? Because we were all sitting down. Yeah. Then the Vive came out and they went, well, let's do room scale VR, so you can stand up and you can move around. But that was limited to five meters by five meters. Um, and again, like then people started making these cool games really active and then people are 
jumping off of planks and jumping into their <laughs> yeah. TVs. We've also seen those videos, right? And then people are trying to make these treadmills that are, that kind of feel awkward and, and, and aren't really that good. So everyone's trying to solve this locomotion problem mm. in VR. And yeah, I thought, well, if we have, if we can make it a really, really small space, anyone can play it. And if we can find a way to make it fitness-based, then then let's do that. Um, the other anecdote I've got is that I got really into this archery game and it was really fun. And I thought, oh, but like this could be way more fun if I had a real bow and arrow. Yeah. So I <laughs> so I took two broken ice hockey sticks and duct taped them together <laughs> to the controller and add an elastic band. And I've got I've got a TikTok on my uh, on all my all my socials, my yeah. my YouTube shorts and everything of me playing this this game with with two hockey sticks. And now I'm getting comments from people who are like that's not real archery or his form is terrible. And I'm like <laughs> I just wanted I just wanted the game to feel more real. I'm having fun. And the, the next day, I could barely open doors because oh I've been God. holding this this bow out and playing this video game. And I went, "Oh, I'm so my arms are so tired." And then I went, "Wait a minute! I just feel like I've been to the gym, and I was shooting gremlins trying to break into my castle for two hours." And I went, "This is way better than than going to the gym, right?" So that was sort of my inspiration: was that if you can if you can make the game exciting enough that and and you align the thing that the gamer wants to do what, what is it what does a player want to do we we want to go fast we want to kill things we want to we want to smash stuff we want we want to make a, a cool experience mm -hmm. if i can align that with some kind of activity that then is benefiting benefiting your body and the game is benefiting you from like i want to, i get to play this game and then you're you sort of you're doing two things right you're killing two birds with one stone you don't have to go to the gym and have time to and find time to play video games because I'm in my 30s. It's really hard <laughs> to find time to play yeah. video games now, and it's it's so much harder. And and I, if uh, like I, I do a lot of video editing, mm. so I'm sitting at my desk all day. And then my friends come on Discord and they want me to play Apex or something, and I'm like, yeah, but my butt's sore, and I need to get up and move my body because I've been stuck yeah. here all day. So I thought, let's let's find a way to make these games active, and we can get up and we can move around, can enjoy ourselves, and then. Of course, then your body rewards you with endorphins and stuff too, right? So yeah. I thought, let's let's find this let's find this nice uh, happy medium. Let's find something that's just a little bit active, but it's a cool game. Yeah. And let's 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 get gamers to play it, and then that way we were off the couch a little bit more, right? And then hey, if you if you start to really enjoy it, then you can start looking into more cycling based stuff or more more other active things. But the first step is just definitely let's let's just be a little bit more active. But can we make it super fun? And that was Jonathan Kovac talking about Pedal Rebel VR. A very cool concept. And like I did ask, like, how's it going to go with wearing a VR headset doing a, an exercise um, bike? Like, aren't you going to get like sweaty and I, yucky? I vomit. You vomit? Yeah. Okay. Get a little, get a little dizzy. I, I also get dizzy from walking out. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. Like yeah. I, if I do like really excessive exercise, mm -hmm. I'll have that feeling of needing to throw up, but I'm so scared of vomiting that I just like hold it in. Personal question: Do you vomit a little and little swallow, or to keep that down? No, or? I just I heavy breathe like yeah. pregnancy breaths, you know. <sighs> yeah. Yeah. Sorry, <laughs> I'm sure that um, sounded awesome. <laughs> Sorry, listeners. Sorry. Sorry. I'm not. A, I'm a curator. I don't talk on podcasts. <laughs> and now you now do. I do. Sorry. Now you do. So, um, but. 
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Via. Like, Pero via. I think, I think it yeah. looks really sick. I think it would like be, it. be a really fun thing to do on stream. Yes. Um, but uh, at the same time, I get a little too involved in VR games and like mm-hmm. get scared. Oh, buddy. Yeah. What, like horror games? Well, like, what if I a car hits me? But that happened to you already, and you're okay. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, you're right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, what I do like though is that the game was inspired from like just moments in COVID. Mm. It's a trend that was happening with games, and it's like same thing with Animal Crossing when that came out, and everyone used that to connect. I thought it was a really interesting way that Jonathan did that to really hone into like the exercise component because you weren't doing that. At all, and then it's just kind of giving you a whole new perspective and a whole new reality in that period of lockdown too. I think it's just wonderful. No, it rocks big mm. time. And next one, friend to you. Oh, friend to me. Friend to us all. Friend to us all, really. <laughs> I got to chat with Mads McKenzie, oh, a gem, um, who you actually recommended me to have a chat with. Yeah. And when I found out they were making Dracula, she, I was like, all right, yeah, okay, this, absolutely, let's go. Yeah. So. uh this is my chat with Mads McKenzie from Fine for the Friends about Dracula Shti. So I'm Mads McKenzie. I'm the director at Fine Feathered Fiends and we are making a game called Dracula Shti. And what exactly is Dracula Shti all about? So Dracula Shti is a romantic horror visual novel where you, uh, so it's an adaptation of Dracula where awesome. you go to Castle Dracula and as tends to happen, you get stuck there. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe some vampires are going to try and kill you. Uh, so you have to kind of pick who in the castle you trust and you want to ally yourself with and uh, try and get out of there alive. Um, and then being a romance game, whoever you kind of team up with, you know, you sort of develops into a romance. Yeah. And uh, that's the general, that's the gist of things. Yeah. <laughs> and what kind of sparked uh, uh, the desire to go into the Draculaw Cool word. Yeah. (laughs) What inspired you to go into the Dracula? So I am just like generally a big sort of Dracula fan. Like uh, one of one of my favorite movies of all time is the I guess less than respectable Dracula adaptation Van Helsing two (laughs) thousand and four. That (laughs) That's so cool. (laughs) So um, I've been making like narrative games, like visual novel type games, for kind of eight years, and. I wanted to make one where like the premise is really clear and sort of people come into it with a good sense of like, okay, this is the 
the this is the thing it's going for these are the characters and you know going for something like Dracula where I say it's like a Dracula dating sim and people are immediately like oh cool I know who Dracula is I get oh, I get what guy. you're doing yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, or sometimes we'll even just be like it's gay Dracula and people will be like oh cool I understand awesome awesome and what kind of uh, how'd you find yourself making games. <laughs> so um I always wanted to do game development um yeah. like I finished I went in my final year of high school um I went to the career counselor and I was like I want to do game development and she was like how about you don't what if you, what if you go into something else? <laughs> <laughs> um yeah I was specifically like I think I want to move to Melbourne and, and do game dev and she was like no this isn't Christchurch New Zealand <laughs> Oh my god! Um, I just I can respect someone being like, no. <laughs> it was very fun. I got really mad about it, but then I also didn't know what to do. Yeah. So um, for a few years, I did nothing. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, I I had some friends who started making a visual novel, and awesome. they didn't invite me to work on it with them. And I was like, hey, you know what? I'm gonna make a better visual novel than you. And you folks are. They didn't finish theirs, so ah. um, and mine wasn't very good. But it, it you finished. It, it was released, exactly. so you know. And what was that? Uh, that was a game called Inverness Nights that I put right. out back in 2017. Yeah, and and uh, explain that one to us. Whew, um, so that one is like. <laughs> I, feel, I feel like all of my descriptions are just going to be like gay X. Good, but basically, good. The, that one was like gay Highlander. So I don't know awesome. if you've ever seen the movie Highlander. Yes. Yeah. So yes. it's the one with the immortal Scottish guy. And yeah. he like wanders around being sad and have, has some sword fights and Queen plays over the top. It's cool. cool. Um, so <laughs> uh, I, I like that movie. And I was like, hey, good movie. Um, what if he was gay though? So, yeah. 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 Uh, so uh, what? Are they cooking? <laughs> <laughs> so I, yeah, it basically was like, what if he was gay though? And then I looked up a whole bunch of Scottish history and I was like, okay, these are all the ramifications of that. And I made a game yeah. about it. Um, that rocks. Yeah. Like I say, it was so, so game. There are a lot of things about it that I look back on and I'm like, I don't know why I made that choice. And that was your first game. Yeah. Right. Yeah. What, what do you think you kind of learned from that experience? Um, well, that one, one of the big things that I discovered was I, like, didn't have, at the time, mm. sort of a very strong pitch for it. Like, I would yeah. try and summarize it for people, and I would be like, this guy, <laughs> and he's immortal, and he's in Scotland, and yeah. it's gay, and some stuff happens. And um, it wasn't, like, a very compelling sort of setup. <laughs> and so for, for all my games from then, I was like, I should probably have something I can boil down to a an interesting one-word yeah. pitch. Yeah. Or not one-word <laughs> One sentence pitch. Yeah. Yeah. With visual novels in the current age, yeah. right, uh, people are always kind of trying to, I guess, do something different, right? Mm. And what uh, what does Dracula do have that kind of stands itself out from the rest? So our goal across the course of development has basically been to just like make a really, really good visual novel. Awesome. Um, so a lot of people, when they approach visual novels, you'll get, you know, folks who think that the way to rise above it all is to, like, staple a whole bunch of additional stuff on. So yeah. it'll become more about, like, oh, we made a visual novel, but also there are a bunch of mini games here. And then a lot of the time I feel like, you know, um, whatever additional gameplay they've attached to it uh, might be 
you know, might be good. Yeah. The visual novel might also be good, but together a lot of the time they're like distracting from each other rather than complementing each other. And um, just in the last couple of years, there have been some like visual novels that have come out that have just kind of gone, we're making a visual novel. All it is is a visual novel, but we're doing an, uh, an amazing job and making the best one of those we can. Yeah. Um, so in particular, there's this team called uh, Black Tabby Games. They're based... Um, in one of the smallest states in America, you know, in the middle of America somewhere. And um, they made this game called Scarlet Hollow. It's a, yes. an amazing, like, yeah. horror game. Uh, they're about to release a game called Slay the Princess. And their whole thing... Oh, my God. Slay mm, the... Pr- I, I played the, the demo of Slay the Princess. Yeah, the demo is really twice. cool. It's really yeah. cool. So you have teams like that that are just making visual novels and saying, oh, like, yeah. how do we do this? as good as we can yeah um and they've been a real inspiration for like hey you know if you just make a visual novel and try and you know do the story really well have incredible art and like do interesting stuff with choices and narrative that get people to sort of invest into it Mm. um like not only can that be enough that can be an amazing experience and there are a lot of people who think about ways of you know uh, drawing people into visual novels that are more about gimmicks yeah and miss the fact that you can just like do a really great job with the core stuff and and that's what makes the difference. And once again, that was Mads McKenzie talking about Draculashti. That game sounds so much fun. Oh my god, have you? Did you play the demo? I didn't get the chance oh. to. Steph did. And Steph, Steph played the demo. I no, uh, I don't know if she played the demo. She saw someone playing mm. it and was like trying to like backseat. Yeah. Demo. It's. <laughs> They are just incredible. I really like what they're doing in the interactive text-based game space. And I got to play the demo in PAX. I, I got to romance the ghost. Ooh. Ooh. A little hot ghost, actually. Ooh. Loved it. There was a moment, and you could also, when when they mentioned they were inspired by Van Helsing from 2004, you can see that in the game. And playing it, there was asp- like little moments where I started feeling anxious and feeling really scared for what was going to happen. And that horror element really came in and the art's incredible. Oh, highly recommend. Yeah. And that's the thing. I feel like a a kind of unsung hero of the horror game genre is in the visual novel space. And I feel like because, you know, there was a really interesting talk at Parallels about horror games that aren't just first person talking mm-hmm. about text-based horror games uh, and the text-based horror game in question that's being show- shown off looked fucking sick. Oh, I was terrified. And so scared. And how they spoke about the aspect of, like, you're hiding behind the continue button. Yeah. And in some games, particularly, that's made for text-based games, so they were exploring how to not hide behind that continue button and escalate that fear. And, I mean, I'm not going to lie, when I was playing the game, at PAX for Dracula I had to stop for a minute and being like, ooh, I don't want to go down there. Yeah. I don't want to go to the basement. Yeah. I'm just a little scared guy. <laughs> <laughs> and then this next one that we've got is with Bryce Watson, who's currently uh, making Frog Rain. Uh, my name is Bryce Watson. Uh, I'm working on our game Frog Rain. It's a Metroidvania where you play as a frog in a hat and your tongue is your grappling hook. So what kind of inspired the creation of Frog Rain? Um, honestly, I was going on a hike one time and at the bottom of the hike there was literally just a sign that had 
a big display of all the different frogs that lived in the area. <laughs> and at the time, I was playing a bunch of Metroidvania games, and mm -hmm. I sort of just, my brain just put the two together pretty much immediately. Um, so we've been sort of doing it since the start of the year. We had the idea two years ago, but uh, other stuff got in the way. And then since the start of the year, we've been working on it. Uh, we're all sort of volunteering doing it at the moment. We're trying to get funding currently. Uh, but yeah, it's been good. We've got a prototype together and we've showed it at a little event and we're showing it at some bigger events later this year. And it's been good. How, how's the, the volunteer system kind of working for you? Um, it's Well, obviously people are only able to work on it as when they, they when they have time and when they don't have to do, go to their job, totally. which they're paying their rent with. Um, it's sort of the thing of nobody's getting paid, so everyone's happy with it. If I was earning money and no one else was, there'd probably be more question marks. But um, no, it was sort of the idea of we're doing this because we think it's cool, it's a good experience. Um, you know, some of our people are straight out of university and things yeah. like that, and people I've you know, acquaintances and friends before we started this. Um, but yeah, the expectation is I am trying my best to, <laughs> to make sure they're not volunteers forever. But yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And uh, with Frog Rain, what have been kind of like some of the highs and some of the lows throughout the development process? Um, well, some of the lows is uh, people not being able to work on it at long, several month periods mm. at a time. Like our programmers, uh, they're actually currently working on their own Metroidvania which is one of the reasons we worked with them in the first place. They're yeah. like, oh, I want to work on your game. I've already, I'm already doing my own, so we can sort of, we can copy-paste some, <laughs> some of the things across yeah. so that it should work fine. But they obviously have to finish their thing now, so they haven't been able to work for months. Like, yeah. we've, you know, we've made prototypes and all sorts of stuff, taking it to events this month. We probably had a month and a half of dev time total. Oh uh, the rest has been art and design and me trying to get money. So, yeah. Uh, that's definitely the downside with everyone volunteering is there can be long periods of time where no one has time to work on the thing. Um, and you, you have to really try your best not to let it stagnate and yeah. have the ball rolling backwards. You sort of need to be pushing it forward, even if I'm the only one that can or will at that time. You're working out of Brisbane. Yeah. And do you find that there's good or at least getting better support for game development in Queensland? Um, I've come in at a very good time. Mm -hmm. um, so obviously I said we had the idea two years ago. When we had the idea, there was nothing. nothing. There was no funding. There was no programs there. As far as I, like there was, there were actually developer groups, but they were very like internal. You had to kind of know someone to get into them. Yeah. Um, and literally the year that we started working on the game properly were, was the year that the funding came back. Nice. So very lucky in that regard. Incredibly uh, lucky. <laughs> so it's it's getting better every year. Uh, I believe they've increased the funding this year. Yeah, um, even more so. I think it went from two million to five million. I, I think that's just what I'm remembering from the email newsletter that they sent yeah. out. I don't know if I'm even interpreting that <laughs> correctly. Like I don't know if that's five million over two years well, or something. Well, Screen Australia has uh, they started out with giving two million and then gave another two million to some more games, and then I think another one million to some some more games after that. So like the funding just kind of keeps coming, which is pretty good. It's good. Well, games keep making more and more money every year, so Ooh, yeah. uh, you would hope we'll get more and more funding. Uh, that's not always the case. Like, New South Wales just lost <laughs> funding, even though they made more money than any other year before. Yeah, so whatever <laughs> support they had, which 
wasn't funding, I don't think. Yeah. It got pulled even even more so, which I don't know how you can pull nothing. But oh, my God. It's, it's bizarre. Gone. It's absolutely bizarre. I, I do hope it gets better. Yeah, but, uh, like I know uh, Victoria and Brisbane mm-hmm. or, and Queensland are two pretty good spots to be in the moment. I've heard South oh, yeah. Australia is South pretty Australia good South Australia is too. getting better, yeah, uh, thanks, to, thanks to a lot of uh, indie devs down there. At the end of the day, it is very much the indie development community that's kind of at the forefront of the the battle for funding yeah like we have we have some bigger companies around as well bigger studios but yeah like they're obviously benefiting from the funding and they're probably Mm. the reason we're getting it because they're spending the most money in the states Um, like one of the reasons the funding has gone up is because they've gone oh you know there was a hundred oh not hundred there was like 11 million dollars spent in queensland on making games maybe we should incentivize them to make more of that so without those big studios we wouldn't be getting the funding in the first place probably but yeah the indies are the ones that have been kicking and screaming asking for it absolutely and they need to keep doing that oh my god yes We, we need to be as loud as we can basically that was bryce watson talking about frog rain Everybody's had quite a different experience with government funding and stuff. Everyone has. There's, yeah. there's people like, I know it's in New Zealand, but Dredge was quite successful with the funding. Same thing with unpacking with our evil and the team from Witchbeam able to go to, was it Sweden? Yeah. Yes, they were able to go to Sweden with the funding as well. And um, uh, Cultural Lamb. Cultural Lamb funding and able to get really successful. But sometimes, I mean, it also depends on what type of funding is available mm. in which state that you're in. Yeah. Yes. And <laughs> my, my take on it is like I'm, I'm very supportive of the government doing yeah. as much as they can. And that being said, there can always be more to be done. Yes, absolutely. And, and I'm, I'm very excited to see how the industry kind of continues to support and then in turn the support from the, the government turns out some really great titles that make a lot of money and then therefore yes. the government sees that and goes, all right, let's put mm. even more money into exactly. it. And I think it has been seen as well and there are different types of funding that are coming through um, from each state as well and each serving its own purpose to help the community. So for like Melbourne, they're going to be highly supportive of in- independent developers because that's the home of independent yeah. developers and you you can see like in WA and South Australia where they are also starting to help their developers and give funding and help them to travel to things like PAX and GCAP to really elevate their practice. Totally. Mm. Um, we've got one last one. Yes. And this one was really exciting for me because this developer reached out being like, you know, I, I'm, I know Cyril's from back in my Kotaku days, mm. seeing you, Alex Walker, and was keen to have a chat about his time in the industry. Um, he's been making games for a while and made a game that not a lot of people actually know yeah. is an Australian game. No, and it is exciting to tell people that title and they're like, oh, what, it's Australian? Same thing with Fruit Ninja, like, what, it's Australian? I'm yeah. like, yeah, we rock. Australia's commitment to the mobile market yes. has been immense. Absolutely. You know? and Groundbreaking. And is just not really made as big of a deal because it's mobile <laughs> games. Mobile games aren't serious. Exactly. Yeah. But it's like so so many big, big mobile games were made in Australia. Absolutely. And so on that note, here's my chat with Matt Hall from Hipster Whale, who wow. you may know as the developer of Crossy Road. Woo! Can I get your name? Matthew Hall. Where you work? Hipster Whale. And 
how your career kind of started. How did it start? Yeah. I really loved to play games and me. So, but I had, it was, I was in the Commodore 64 era. So a very cool. long time ago. <laughs> and uh, my parents got me a Commodore 64 for my birthday and one game. It didn't take me very long to finish the one game, so I quickly had to pivot into making them. So, yeah, I got my start <laughs> at eight years old. Professionally, it took quite a long time. So yeah. I was in a bit of a dark period. So just as I, was making, as I was making games as a kid, once I was starting to be able to make them, the bedroom coders were gone and it was all replaced by publishers. And publishers, there yeah. was one here in Australia, basically, which was Melbourne House. Yeah, wow. So there was really nowhere to go. Mm. And so I just... Ended up doing IT, more general IT in Adelaide. When I came out of there, it's like I started to apply, but there's just so few studios. So I only actually joined the games industry in 2001. So I was a yeah. bit of a late starter for someone of my age. Yeah. But I mean, like 2001 is... It's is, a long time now. Yeah, it's, it's 23 a long, years, right? Weird to think about. But uh, but yeah, and, and I mean, you, you're with Hipster Whale and of course... Crossy Road comes yeah. from there. With the people that you kind of encountered over time um, when it comes to your work, are they surprised to find out that Crossy Road is made by an Australian studio? It doesn't often come up much where we're actually right. from. I mean, as soon as I open my mouth, they know where I'm from. Like <laughs> but, uh, yeah, this sort of little successes come from everywhere, I think. Mm. Yeah, big successes. <laughs> yeah, they're a little, they're a little rarer. Yeah. 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 Do you think over the years, the, I guess, kind of like respect for mobile games has grown a bit more? I feel like it's, it's a very different perspective between the consumer and the developer when it comes to mm. mobile games. Because I know a lot of people have made mobile games that have done really, really well and they're awesome. But then you talk to the average consumer, me writing for Kotaku for as long as I did, any time I wrote about mobile games, yeah. I'd, get a mess, uh, I'd get a comment being like, why are you writing about this? Yeah. Who cares about mobile games? And I feel like that's changed recently, like in, in more recent years, right? It's hard to say. Like, it's just hard to say. Like, um, everyone interprets mobile games differently. Like, what are they playing at the time? Yeah. Maybe there's a big scandal that's happened or studios have been closed or yeah. so maybe something awesome was released. It's just you just never, never know how you feel about it day to day. Personally, I've found games to be a little frustrating mm. because um, although with Crossy Road we had a very clear vision of the game we were going to make and I knew how I was going to, you know, I'm going to air quotes, you can't see it, monetize it. <laughs> we, yeah. did, we knew we were going to do an ad-supported game yeah. and so that's what we built on. After that, we wanted to try to be a bit more responsible with our monetization, but it was kind of arresting. Like each time we'd have a game idea, the question was, "All right, all right how are we going to construct the meta?" And um, yeah, it was. It took a lot of the fun out of it. I think yeah. you would have a great idea, but weren't sure how to get people, keep people playing it. Mm. Yeah, it was. It was tough. So at the moment, I've actually I like to zig when others zag. Well, is it zag when others zig? I'm not sure. I, I feel like you can go either way, right? Either way, right? <laughs> you can use either one. It depends on if they're zigging or zagging. Yeah, if they're zigging, yeah. that's when you zag. But if they're zagging, that's when you zig. Yeah, the last couple of years I took a, like a sidestep and, and have been working on um, interactive romantic fiction app for the last couple cool. of years. So something completely out of my <laughs> out of my wheelhouse. Yeah, and, and being the CTO on that. So yeah. doing all the programming, whereas I've had periods where I've not programmed for five years. Yeah. So it's been fun to be back in that space, explore new technology and make games for other people. Yeah, yeah, yeah totally. And, and apps for other people, I should say. How does it compare to, to the work you were doing? It's just different. It's just a, a break. Like 
while I've had this little thing, I've keep now I've had like game ideas again. So we'll see what happens next after that too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Awesome. And you know, considering once again, you, you know, you've been uh, officially in the industry since two thousand and one. What have kind of to you been the biggest, uh, most glaring evolutions in the industry from your perspective? From the beginning, yeah. The yeah. like that first one I talked about was the evolution of the. Like, you know, authors, right? It's yeah. always one person writes a book. So when I was a kid, it was one person writes a game. That's yeah. just what happens. When it suddenly became two and three and ten and a hundred, that was a huge pivot. Like, these games, they weren't possible to make by one person anymore. And of course, the other major pivot was in 2006, seven, eight, yeah. when Steam came along and Ragdoll Kung Fu was released. It's like, oh, one person can make a game again. Yeah. And then the rise of casual during that period as well through Big Fish Games. was That was like, I was working in a studio at the time and I was looking left and right going, I think maybe I can be a bedroom coder like I've always wanted. <laughs> and so, yeah, that's what I did. So they're the two big pivots that have mm. affected me. And, I mean, the App Store and the release of the App Store was a big part of that as well. Yeah, totally. And I guess with... Um with the, the whole concept of, like, the, the sole developer mm. as well, do you think that's kind of become uh, easier or harder to no, do? No, it's back to impossible again. Like, the, yeah, yeah the, you, you could definitely make a game by yourself because the tools are so much easier. Mm. But there are so many games being released and you're fighting for eyeballs. Yeah. Like, there are, you know, we see the big successes like Crossy Road and Hollow Knight and... But for each success, there's probably now a thousand failures. Yeah. Like it's, I always feel a little sad <laughs> when I see other people working working on something because I'm like, I hope it does well, but the odds are against them. Oh my god, yeah, yeah. and I think as well, it comes down to um, uh, like gamer expectations as well, mm. right? Like even I think the 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 myth of the f- the truly sole developer in this day and age like like people thinking that Toby Fox was the only one that made Undertale mm. which is very not true mm. uh, I think the expectations that gamers have on developers to somehow build a, a huge game all on their own I think plays into it as well right I have a little story there. Like, when I was working at Tantalus, um, you know, we were sitting there making the game, which in this case was Pony Friends. Yeah. That was the title I was working on. But the notion of, like, how is a game marketed was handled by the publisher. It was like this iron curtain. Yeah. So I was so... I was really overjoyed. That was the part I enjoyed the most when I went independent. Is like, okay, what is marketing? Mm. And that quickly became, like, my key skill. Like, I delivered a lot of talks and advice to people of how to market your game but the importance of that is now a hundred times and I wouldn't probably be able to do that today I'm no longer considered an expert in that field you know I went to Luke Musket's talk yesterday where he Mm. is now he's had a real desire to make a game by himself yeah but of course he's doing that through YouTube and creating YouTube videos and so again that's a smart thing to do because if you're an independent developer like Stardew Valley, it's hard to imagine him working as well now without really showing his face and and being a part of the the narrative. Oh yeah, like Choo Choo Charles was another really interesting one man person success this last year. year I think it was last, last year. year. Yeah, because it was there. The, it was at the Future Games show. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, but that was really exciting again. Like, but not everyone can do that because it'll saturate, and then everyone, yeah, yeah it's, and it's, 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 everything's tough now. It's interesting as well because with Stardew Valley, I think Stardew Valley is such a good example of like 
how, you know, uh, one guy can get such a huge success, mm. but also how it can just absolutely ruin you. Sure. Because, <laughs> like, I think it was in um, Jason Schreier's book, Blood, Sweat and Pixels. Yeah, I read where, that. A great book. Great book. And he... Uh, you know, he talked to Eric Barone, that's yeah. his name, and just the, the absolute toil that he went through mm. and, and, and how he basically, like, threw his life away is the wrong word, but he wasn't well. He yeah. wasn't healthy. He wasn't living a fulfilling life while no. he was making Stardew Valley. Sure. Is there, like, a worry that stories like that maybe pushing yeah. people into the wrong direction when it comes to making games. Think of all the other people who have thrown five years into their game and didn't have the success that he did and those yeah. stories would be really, really common. And um, the notion of that's how you find success is to throw your all at it is not absolutely not true. Mm-hmm. Like Crossy Road was Andy and I, we spent 12 weeks on it. Like <laughs> it, we didn't throw away our life. We had a little break <laughs> at the end. Like I think Andy went off at the end, felt energized, and he made another game in between that yeah, and you releasing You made Crossy Road one. in twelve weeks. Yeah, it was really fast. Yeah. Oh my god! How? Uh, <laughs> it was easier back then because we didn't have to necessarily worry about you know purchases so much. Like just yeah. some things have gotten a lot harder. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you would also need to do a lot more. We were really fortunate because I had built up a reputation with Apple. Yeah. I, you know, I'd had my three number ones before, so I was able to say, hey, check out my new game. What do you think? And they're like, we like it. Yeah. <laughs> so I managed to, we managed to get featuring through, through just, just through building a reputation over many years. Again, how many people are able to, to do that? Mm. It's just, um, yeah, we were just fortunate. Yeah, absolutely, and yep. I, I think a big right game at the right time. I think if exactly. we release Crossy Road today, it would just it would flop. We would have <laughs> a real think? yeah, we would have real trouble getting the eyeballs on it. Yeah, that was Matt Hall from Hipster Whale talking about Crossy Road, his experience in the industry, and I love hearing from people who have been doing it for ages. Yes, I mean they know they know they they know the ups and downs, they know the ins and outs. And they've seen how the industry has evolved over time. Mm. So they can be really adapting to what's going on. Absolutely. And like especially as well in the mobile sector because I feel like we hear about the console sector a lot and we hear about people's struggles with developing games for console and for PC. But then when it comes to mobile games, I think think a lot of people just don't think about the people behind mobile games. And And like because of that. They don't think about kind of the the issues that they go through, like, you know, trying to get funding, yes. trying to get a publisher, trying to make sure the money flow stays exactly. towards them. It's almost like mobile games aren't real. Mm. They're not real games, but the effort that it takes to make. And to be honest, I think mobile games are the most important in terms of accessibility because oh everybody God, yeah. has a mobile phone. Well, yeah. except for a few. I know one person who doesn't, but. <laughs> Whoa. Whoa, I know. That, they must live a really cool life. You know what? They do. <laughs> I believe that. Yeah. And the thing is as well is I think because mobile games are so like pretty much expected to be either really, really cheap or yeah. free. Yes. Because it's, a, you know, it's a small device. It's quote unquote not as big not as, as a console yeah. game. That being said, I have seen mobile games that have come from console games and been made for mobile and yep. then vice versa. And, like, 
they have to make the mobile version cheaper. Exactly. Or else people will. They won't get it. Go, but, you know, yeah. bonkers. I'll right? Like, Why is it so expensive? Yeah. Yeah. And like, and then due to the, that expectation to be free, you know, they've got to, they still need to find a way to make money. No, exactly. And so, yes, there might be microtransactions. And I'm, look, I'm not a huge fan of microtransactions, no. but especially. If they're quite predatory. Yes. That like being boxes, said, no. there's a right way to do them. Yes. There's a right way to do them and that way is, how do I describe it? Like, like I played a game called, I think it's called Parasite Days, mm-hmm. which is a very, very weird game. But It, it sounds also, weird. It rocks. It's so weird but it rocks. Nice. And like they've got a little like internal store. In the internal store you can use real money to buy like bonuses that help you in the game. Like, oh, for cool. example, there's a mini game where you thread a piece of thread through a needle mm-hmm. and your hand is moving up and down while that happens or the needle is. And you can buy a bonus to give you like a laser pointer oh, that cool. makes it easier to, make to, it easier. to thread it. Yeah. And any purchase that you make in that store, including that one, any purchase you make also gets rid of ads in the game. Oh. So if you make no purchase, you, you can play the game making no purchases at all, but you still will get, Ads. Yeah, but they're the minute you do anything, only semi-intrusive, mm. and they kind they're there so the developer can make money because that game is free. Yes, but you know you can also give money through that other avenue, and I think that's a really good example of a good way to do monetization. But like, I don't care about ads as long as they're not like yeah. all the time, and they're not like a minute. Yeah, I don't care because like yeah. These developers have to make money somehow. Exactly. Some like developers aren't as lucky. Most developers aren't as lucky as like, for example, the developers that make it onto Apple Arcade. Yeah. Like they 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 don't have that bit of funding that that gets the game out there. And, you for know, sure. luckily the Australian government once again has you know still been receptive to mobile game funding, yeah. which is huge, massive. But yeah, that was my experience at GCAP. I had. A couple more conversations mm. in my time there, but they were quite long and are going to be their very own episodes. So yes. if you're listening right now, stay tuned for those because I'll be chatting with or oh Andy Brophy and Olivia Haynes They're who are currently – beautiful people. Beautiful I'm sorry people. I interrupted you. No, no, that's okay. Andy's making Knuckle Sandwich, which uh, will be coming out on the 23rd of November. Yeah. Very huge. And Olivia Haynes who's making Surf Club. They are oh. married. They are beautiful. They've and been they... helping each other with their games. And they're in love. That. And they're in love. They're in love. They're in love. So, Chloe, thank you so much for oh. taking the time to chat with me oh and rooming with me and eventually agreeing to be on this podcast. Oh, look, I liked I liked the sniping initially and now I, I also appreciate you asking me to come back. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. And a big thank you to you for listening. If you're liking what you're hearing, why not give us a five-star rating on whatever podcast platform you're Should. using? Better yet, why not give us a nice little review? And hey, if you really like what you're hearing and you'd like to hear more, Consider supporting Back Pocket over on Patreon where you can get access to our lovely Discord full of all sorts of buds. And if you support us at the silver or gold tier, you can get access to even more audio content just like this. You can also find us on Twitch where we've got our main live show every Thursday from 7pm AEST and on TikTok where we are constantly posting very good stuff for you to cast your big beautiful eyes on. Then there's also the socials, our Twitter and threads and whatnot, which you're also welcome to get around. Once again, thank you so much for tuning in and as... The end of Seinfeld would say, bow, bow, bow. 
Bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.